How important do you think building credit is in achieving your goals? How much of an impact do you think learning from other people's experience will have on your goals? Do you believe becoming a professional or really pursuing more in your career requires getting into debt because of the additional education? Grab your popcorn and listen to this episode where our guest shares her experiences with all of this and find out why I'm saying you should grab your popcorn. Yes, there's a story to that. You are listening to Her Dinero Matters, the podcast helping Latinas have increased confidence and control over their finances. My name is Jen Hempel, and as an accredited financial counselor, my mission is to help you be more confident and simplify your finances so you can save more, get out of debt quicker, and build your wealth. Unfortunately, many of us become aware of the importance of good credit as adults. Don't get me wrong, it's never too late. We also have beliefs that simply aren't true, like that debt is unavoidable when pursuing a profession needing higher education. This is your host, Jen Hemphill. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Nuestra invitada, our guest today is Jenny de Flores, who shares her valuable experiences. From obtaining a doctorate without incurring student loan debt to buying her house using her credit and the story behind that, and all of this while transforming her limiting beliefs and acquiring sustainable habits. Just like her, many other people like you have achieved their desired goals. And here, my mission is to motivate you and make things easier. Also, make sure you pay attention to the funny and coincidental popcorn story we have in common. It's a funny one, or at least I thought so. Dr. Jenny de Flores is a polymer chemist, author of a patent, and of more than a half a dozen peer-reviewed publications. She became a podcaster with the launch of Latinx Can, a podcast highlighting the stories of Latinx professionals and the tips and tricks that help them turn their dreams into reality. Let's go ahead and meet her, but before we do, I want to remind you, don't forget we have a community waiting to support you and where you can share your thoughts and questions from today. More on that later, but for now, Let's go meet Jenny Day. Bienvenida, Jenny Day. I'm excited to have you here. I know you and I had a chat on your podcast, Latinx Can. So I'm really excited to turn the tables around and interview you. So bienvenida. Thank you so much, Jen. Thank you so much for having me in your podcast. This is, um, I think it's it's going to be amazing. And thank you for giving us a platform to to share what we're doing with our podcast as well. Of course, of course. Oh, here on the podcast, we always start out with going back in time. So Jenny, take us back in time to your upbringing, maybe some lessons, some experiences, some memories that you have around money that really had an influence as to who the person, who you are today. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this this question, right? And I really went back in time. So I grew up in Venezuela and I was I lived there until I was 18. So a lot of my finances were my education or my knowledge about finances was influenced by that upbringing. 
And also, when I my parents divorced when I was very young, I think about when about five years old. So I had always like two influences. I don't remember us living together um, in the same household, right? So I had the influence from my mom's side, and then the influences from my from my dad's side, and they were not too different from each other. So with my mom on my mom's side, I grew up. I remember my mom always saying, "Uno se arropa hasta donde le llega la cobija." And that just meant that you would only spend the things that the money that you had. And if you couldn't spend more because you didn't have mon more, then you would have to adapt to that, right? And so for me, an example of how that really has carried with me all of these years. And I was thinking about when I was in grad school, for example, in College Station, Texas, if you had a student ID, you could go to the movies and the ticket would be like five bucks or less. And so I would go to the movies and I would just pay five dollars, but I would never get popcorn because I couldn't uh, afford it, right? So I said that that was an example for me of how I always stayed with uno se arropa hasta donde le llega la cobija. And then from my dad's side, I grew up thinking that my mom and my sister, they, my sister is older than me. And so she would always say that my dad was pichirre, which in, in Venezuelan slagging is like um, stingy, right? Uh, he was he would be very tight with his money. But then my dad would always counter that with I'm not pichirre, I'm ahorrativo. So I'm always saving money. What I would see with my dad is that he had a good and stable job as a university professor. And with the salary that he made, he would be able to take us on vacation. And he would even, you know, we would go to the beach, to Margarita Island, to things like that. And then sometimes we would also go on vacations internationally. So what I got from my dad really, it was that it was okay to spend money on things that made sense, but not to splurge on things that were not necessary, right? So for me, that those are two main things that I have grown up with and they stayed with me. I think um, one, one funny story that I could remember that happened recently, well, maybe recently, a couple of years ago, is that I've been to Europe before, the first time with my dad for my quinceañera, that was my present. So it was a fantastic trip. The second time I went backpacking when I was in college. And so when I was backpacking, I was like, living on scraps and I, I would just only buy bread or, you know, street food. And that's what I would eat. And then the third time I went with my husband a couple of years ago, maybe when I was 30, 31, and now we are professionals and we were working and just going with my husband to Italy. I was like, okay, like we don't have any money. We have to like hold our, uh, all of our luggage and we got to eat, you know, buy scene, like bread and, and cheese and that's all we'll eat. And my, my husband is like, why? Like we have money, <laughs> you know, why? are we going to do that and so I let go a little bit of that of that mentality while we were there and then I realized that I had never really actually tried the food in Italy and it was amazing oh. <laughs> it took three trips yes. it was the same <laughs> that is so funny yeah <laughs> And it's interesting that you mentioned about your husband because I had a similar experience. No, I have not even gone to Italy, let alone three times, but similar experience in terms of you mentioned going to the theater. I used to, as a kid, we hardly ever went to the theater mm -hmm. a lot. Uh, but when we did, we would just literally buy the tickets and that's mm -hmm. it, like you. Like there was no popcorn, there was no soda, nothing. Enter my husband. <laughs> <laughs> He is the complete opposite. He's like, it's about the experience. And yeah. for him, 
a movie experience is not just buying the ticket and watching the mm -hmm. movie. A movie experience is having the popcorn. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and the soda. And I struggled with that, especially at the beginning of our marriage. I'm like, this is not anything we need yeah. because I was brought up upon that mentality. You only buy what you mm -hmm. need. But as you mentioned with your husband, he said, we have the money, right? So I think it's definitely, you have to... Yes, spend within your means, but you have to plan mm. to really so you can splurge, yeah, you know, right. and, and have those because you're only on this earth for a limited time. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and you have to enjoy it. And I'm trying to learn to do that. Um, now I'm trying to learn to do that. You know, it's hard because those feelings are just with me all the time. And I struggle making large purchases, but I'm trying. <laughs> so would you say your husband still balances you out? Like when you're uh, struggling making those large purchases? Oh, he spends too much money. <laughs> so kind of a balance. Right, exactly. We come and meet in the middle. <laughs> that is that is awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And what would you say to this date? So you've had this upbringing, the influence of your mom and the influence of your dad. And then along the lines, you became a professional, became married. What would you say has been your biggest financial lesson or maybe one or two lessons to date? No, for sure. I mean, I thought about this a lot because uh, growing up, money wasn't scarce. I, I didn't grow up thinking that we were poor, but we were a solid middle class, I think. And so what I didn't realize that that was a step forward from my mom and my dad, they they grew up in poverty, they had a very humble beginnings. And so what the, the type of life that we were living was already a step up. And so um, a, a few of the financial lessons that now I know, I, I learned when I was in grad school. And so that for me, that was around 25, 26 years old. And so now I think about it and I feel like, wow, I wish I had known this before and I had known this sooner. So the first one that I learned was um, the importance of having an emergency fund. And when I talked to my mom about this, she's like, I mean, we lived okay, but I had no savings, you know? And so we were always, I didn't realize this, but we were always uh, on the brink of having an emergency and not being able to pay for it. So for me, when I was in grad school and somebody told me it was a financial advisor or somebody who came to do a seminar for the chemistry department, they said, oh, you know, it's important for you to have an emergency fund, depending of, of what your needs are, maybe three to six months of your monthly expenses. And so when I learned that, I was like, oh, wow, I'm not there. And so what can I do now to like implement this into my life? Um, so that was really important because also gave me a framework. I knew saving was important, but are you always going to have all your savings in a bank account, not generating money that maybe is not the best approach, right? So it gave me a framework of what to strive for. That was the first one. And then the other one was starting to save for retirement early. And again, I didn't learn about options to do this until I was in grad school. And the one thing that I remember learning about that 
then was having a Roth IRA because we wouldn't get um, employment contributions from the university, even though we were university em employees. It's kind of weird because we were grad students and we got a stipend, but we didn't get any of those benefits. We got health benefits, but not like retirement planning. And so somebody, my friend or some, maybe this financial advisor mentioned the Roth IRA accounts and I was like, oh, okay, well, I didn't know about it. And, and what was important there that I learned was that they said, you know, open it and put whatever money you can. I don't know, $1,000, $100. What's important is that you start running the clock so that in five years, if you need whatever money you've put in there, you can start taking it out. Th that was something that I wish that I had known earlier. And I haven't, I only took advantage of that a couple of years ago. Those are two. And then the one thing that was not a regret that I actually did, and I realized, you know, talking with people in the podcast, I was talking to Danny and Lori Navarro in episode 43, and they're Latinx travel hackers. They're right now um, experiencing the World Cup, and they flew all the way to Qatar, uh, first class jets. And so like they're really um, living this idea of making the most out of your money. And what Danny said is like, when I was in college, I wish I had study abroad. And I think that it's a, a great lesson or something that we can um, benefit from, because if your school offers it, then probably there's an exchange program. You spend the same amount of money that you spend here, somewhere in Europe or in, or in Asia or even in Latin America. And so it's a great way to travel the world. It's a great way to see the world have other experiences and be spending about the same money, right? And when you're a student, you can live on ramen noodles. So that's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I wish I'm one of those students that did not study abroad. And I wish, and you know what, I might have had the opportunity, but I wasn't aware of it. One, mm -hmm. uh, I didn't, I wasn't aware it, ex it existed. And two, I think honestly, uh, Jenny, that I think the money was because in my mind, I went to uh, a college where my mom worked. She was a professor there. And so I went mm -hmm. there because there was a big, a significant discount in tuition. And yeah. in those days, my parents were always saying, we don't have the money. We can't afford you to mm -hmm. go to other college, but you can go here. I went there. So in my mind, it's like we don't have the money. So I didn't even explore those options. I felt yeah. like any yeah. options were limited because there was no money. If I could go back, I would have explored those options because you're right. I think in a lot of schools, you pay the tuition. There might be some other costs. Who knows? I think it's dependent on the on the college and or, or the university. But mm -hmm. yeah, for me, I, I didn't even explore those options all because in my mind, Right. There was no way. There was not. It was not a possibility. And I right. and I say that because because for those of you listening, if you feel that way, you need to explore the options because you just never know what options there are that could open up whatever avenue that you're looking at to do, you, whatever you're trying to explore or what you're trying to do, and never never limit yourself because I've done that. Yeah. <laughs> when there was opportunity, I'm sure there was opportunities. Now you've mentioned your husband, so and. You also share with me that a few years ago, you and your spouse went through the process of getting approved for a loan to buy to buy a house. 
Uh, but you ended up just using your credit history. So if you could tell us about this, I really want to know about this story. Yeah, I mean, I think this was a story that just illustrated the the immense privilege that I have had in in this country. And I think as an immigrant, especially as an immigrant from Venezuela, when people hear around the world and in the States that I'm from Venezuela, they're like, oh, poor thing, you know. But I, I think that we have had so many privileges because I am from Venezuela. So what happened here is that the pandemic created a great market for buying houses in 2020. And we were in a position where we had enough savings to uh, to put a 20% down payment on our house. So we decided to go for it. And so we applied for this loan together and it comes rejected. And we're like, wow, what's what's going on? So I, I'm talking to the banker and they say, well, I think it's a problem with your husband's credit at the moment. So, but it, you know, like it, yours looks pretty good. How about we just apply with yours and see what happens? And so the first one came approved and they're like, okay, good. So then we started shopping for a better mortgage and, you know, options and, and rates and things like that with my credit history alone. And then answering the questions of this financial assistant that is um, trying to apply for, for the loan. And then he starts talking to me about, oh, you know, like what's your highest level of education? And I told him I had a PhD in chemistry. And he's like, oh, well, you're smart. And I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> I work hard more, more than I, I, I am smart, but sure. And then he asked me about the debt, right? So he's like, okay, well, how much debt do you have? And I told him, I don't have any debt. And he's like, no, no, I mean, it actually... Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. You have to include your student loans into the debt because that's part of it. And then again, I said, I, I don't have any student loans, so I don't have any debt. I might have a couple thousand dollars on credit cards that I'll pay by the end of the year. And so he thinks about it. And he's like, wow, I've never met a doctor that doesn't have any student loans. At that moment, I was like, wow, I mean, I, I realized that the, the position that I was because I happened to have studied in the US my undergrad and my PhD. Uh, my undergrad, I got a full ride uh, from this amazing donor that it's associated with one of the schools I went to. His name is Shelby Davis and the Shelby Foundation. So they paid for all of my expenses when I went to the University of Florida. And I realized that that is a privilege that many people in the U.S. don't even have access to. People who were born in the U.S., they don't have access to those kinds of scholarships because it always comes tied to the income that your parents make or your family makes. And sometimes that disqualifies you from having a full ride at, at a university. So that was one. And then the other thing that I see is that I happen to study here, but I have a lot of friends from Venezuela who actually graduated college in Venezuela. And then they applied for a master's and a PhD program at the university, at Texas A&M University, which is where I met them. So now they're petroleum engineers. So they came here with no debt. They applied for higher education. And then because not many people in the U.S. apply for graduate degrees, there is a huge need for students. And so that's what gives us a leg up because we're like, okay, well, I'm willing to sacrifice five years of my life to do a PhD program and 
as a return, I get a really good salary at the on the uh, in the other end. And so they came in here with no debt. They studied for five years. They sacrificed for five years. We lived on a stipend. But then at the end of those five years, they make more than a hundred thousand dollars, a lot more than a hundred thousand dollars, and they have no debt. And so those are the kinds of privilege that that I realize that we have. And it's all because the education system in Venezuela was free, essentially. And so that gives a difference. Interesting. So if I'm understanding right, when you meant you you had privilege, you're talking about when you studied your undergrad, there was, you know, you got a full ride. And was it because they were just looking at your income at, because you, maybe you were independent or I was, was trying to understand that? Yeah, no, I got a full ride because when I first left Venezuela, I studied at a, I won a scholarship and it was a 50% scholarship to study at one of the United World Colleges. And these these are a network of international schools around the world where people have to apply. And it's like if you did a two-year exchange program in high school, essentially. I went and did that program, which is a life-changing experience because of the experience itself. But then... As part of that program, Shelby Davis and the Davis Foundation, he's an American, and he decided that he was going to donate his wealth to these schools. And so there's a partnership between the Shelby Davis Foundation and universities across the United States. So if we get accepted, anybody that went to a United World College or a UWC, if you get accepted into any of these schools that they have partnerships with, they would cover your tuition. Wow. Okay. Good to know. Now my son being two years into a college. <laughs> the things that you find out afterwards. Very, very interesting. Now you mentioned you feel you had privilege, but would you consider you have had financial obstacles or, or some challenges as an immigrant? Yeah. I mean, I think what the biggest one was not having a credit history. I came here when I was 21, I was a student. I didn't have a job because I couldn't with my student visa. I cannot work outside of uh, the university. And so I didn't have a credit history. And when I wanted to move away from campus and live in an apartment, I couldn't uh, rent an apartment because I needed a co-signer because I didn't have a credit history. That was a huge challenge. I can imagine. And what else? So besides that, you know, that's a lesson that you can pass on to other immigrants grants is the, ch uh, the challenge of not having a credit history. What else would you, that you have learned, what else have you learned, I should say, that you can pass on to other immigrants that may be listening to this podcast? Yeah, I mean, I think the first one is make sure that you start building that credit history. You can do it slowly. In my view, still, it's like, you know, you could have a credit card with like a deposit, right? I think it's, you put in, say, $500 in and they give you a credit card and it's like a safety. You could do that and then start using that credit card so that you can build your credit. That would be one. And make sure that you pay your bills because in my experience, you don't, in the US, maybe you don't really have to have a lot of money, but what's important is that you have a really good credit history and that goes a long way. That's one. But then the one thing that I would say, and I don't know, I know that education is really expensive in the United States, but if you ever had a goal that to go and get a degree at a university, I would say do it. Do it and it's 100%. It will pay off. And there are a few ways to do it. I know that paying for tuition is hard. So maybe you can start at a community college and there the classes are smaller and they're also cheaper. 
And so that that's a way that you could start. Then you can transfer to a four degree, um, a four year university. In fact, in my podcast, in episodes eight and nine, Dr. Laura Minero, she's a former undocumented person, and she started at a community college. She is now a doctor in psychology, and she has her own practice right now. It is possible. You can do it. So if you want to do it, there are ways to do it. Like you said, explore all the options, any option that comes in there. And that includes financial options. One thing I learned from my mentor as my in my undergrad in, in the lab, he was my mentor in the chemistry lab. He was from, he his name is Zander Pemba, and Dr. Zander Pemba, I would say. And um, he is from Zimbabwe. And so he actually went to Texas A&M and, he, and first started at Blink College. And he told me, Jenny, the advice that I would give anybody is if you if you see a scholarship that's open, apply for it. It doesn't matter whether you meet the requirements or no, apply for it because you would be surprised how many scholarships have no applications. And if you're the only one that puts in the name in the hat, they'll give it to you. And sometimes when you have a $1,000 scholarship as an international student, it gives you in-state tuition and it makes a huge difference. Love it. Yeah, and I agree, especially those scholarships. I have heard time and time again how some they don't get many applications. And I think it's some of the smaller scholarships that maybe you don't mm -hmm. know about. The, the national, I, I don't know if I should call them national, maybe just nationally renowned scholarships, maybe we could call it that. Uh, so I agree that definitely apply for those scholarships, even if you don't think you qualify or whatever they're saying that they need requirements, just apply. Yeah. And you are, you've mentioned you are a chemist. I remember my organic, is it organic chem <laughs> classes in college? I think I got to that. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to change. I was a biology major, <laughs> yeah. as, as you know. So what led you to a career in chemistry? Is that something that always interested you or did it just come across like later on in life? Or I liked chemistry when I was in high school and, and we didn't do any experiments or anything like that. But I thought, you know, the wiggles and the squiggly lines and things like that, the, they were pretty and I liked them. I grew <laughs> up, I should say that my mom is an engineer. My dad is an engineer. My sister is an engineer. And so talk about representation. I thought I was going to be an engineer, you know, and so and I like chemistry. So then I said, well, I'm going to be a chemical engineer. That's it. That stuck with me throughout the years. And then when I got to UF, I started trying to be an engineer, a chemical engineer. And then I realized that they didn't really like the engineering part. I just like the chemistry part. And so then I went through that route. And then while I was going through sophomore and junior year, I started talking to more people that are were doing chemistry. And I was an international student. And so I realized that if I had just a bachelor's degree, I wouldn't really get sponsorship to get a job once I graduated. And I needed sponsorship from companies in order to be able to stay in the States and work in the States. Then the only way around that was to then pursue a, a PhD in chemistry, because again, very few people apply for STEM degrees in masters and PhDs. And so I would be a unicorn basically. And then the companies would sponsor me because very few people domestically do th something like that. That's how I ended up doing a PhD in chemistry. It wasn't necessarily because I wanted to, you know, win a, a Nobel Prize or anything <laughs> like that, but mostly because I needed to have a pathway to stay in the U.S. And, and that's how I ended up doing that. 
Very strategic and smart. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> well, you have this a successful career in chemistry, but you also decided to create a podcast, which as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, where I had the pleasure of being interviewed called Latinx Can. With being as busy as you are, why, mm -hmm. you know, what led to this podcast? Why did you start this podcast? I think that's a great question. And for me, what happened is that I stepped from the bubble that is academia into the real world in corporate America. And I must recognize that growing up in Venezuela, the best opportunity that I ever had is that I saw myself represented everywhere. I could dream of being a president, an engineer, a doctor, whatever. I saw myself everywhere, right? And so when I started working at a company, a chemical company in corporate America, the first few months were fine. They were okay. And then I started getting a lot of criticism about my personality, about my, you know, I, I got told that I was too close-minded and things like that. And I was like, well, this is weird because this is the first time after having lived in Southern Africa, after living in Venezuela, after doing two degrees in, in academia, this is the first time I'm being told this. So I tried to turn around to look for other Latinas or Latinos that were in similar positions to ask for help, for advice, and I couldn't find anybody. And so that's when representation really hit, right? I was like, wow, I mean, this is what it means. Like, um, I know that I'm not alone because I know of other Latinas and Latinos and Latinx people that have PhDs in chemistry and engineering in all of these STEM fields because they were my friends in grad school and they were my husband's friends in grad school, right? So we know that they are out there. So then the idea was, okay, how about we create a space where we interview our friends and we ask them, you know, how did you get to where you are today? And so it would serve as inspiration, one, for the next generation but we really focus on sharing actionable advice that people can use in order to achieve their goals so that hopefully their path is a little easier than ours. So we're not alone. We're just, you know, a few people in uh, 350,000, <laughs> you know, people in the U.S., but we are there and, and we are making a difference. And so that's that's the reason why we started it. That is such an interesting story as to why in it. Very, very interesting. Thank you so, so much for sharing. Well, Jenny Day, this has been so fantastic. I really have enjoyed getting to know you more, turning the tables around and interviewing you for this podcast. So thank you so much for being here and for doing what you're doing, representing uh, Latinas and the world of chemistry and and really creating that space for other Latino professionals, Latinx uh, professionals to have those conversations so that they know that they're not alone. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much, Jen. And thank you for the space that you have created as well. It's fantastic. Definitely, Jenny Day is living proof that becoming a professional without incurring debt is possible. You heard what the bank staff said when she bought her house, that they had never known someone to graduate with a PhD without student loan debt. She also teaches us what is also possible for us. There are currently many scholarships available. In many cases, people don't apply for them believing they didn't meet the requirements, but the reality is that these organizations giving scholarships are looking for someone to give the scholarship to because there's really not many people applying. One of the keys that we also talked about today for you to achieve all your goals 
goals is to be aware of all your limiting beliefs that do not allow you to see all the opportunities you have available. For example, in the case of credit building, it is a matter of analyzing your finances and really adding habits that allow you to build that credit and not block yourself thinking that it's not possible. Because if you learn something from this episode, all things are possible. Gracias por regalarme este ratito de tu tiempo para inspirarte. Un abrazo. You can connect with Jenny Day over at her website at latinxcan.com. We will link that up in the show notes. We will also link up an interview where she interviewed me so you can hear that episode as well. An important key to achieving your goals is to surround yourself with people who support you. That's why I created a private community so you can share those goals in a safe and positive environment and so we can cheer you on. Join us at jenhempill.com forward slash community and we will definitely be rooting for you. This week, if you haven't seen on social, we are celebrating the fifth birthday of my book, Her Money Matters, and make sure you check out the giveaway, the details of the giveaway on social and in our community. I also wanted to share with you a review I discovered recently from Gloria in Mexico. Gloria in Mexico writes in Español, Uno de los mejores libros que he leído sobre consejos financieros motiva mucho a tomar el control de tus finanzas y clarifica mucho el tema de manejo de dinero y los por qué hacemos lo que hacemos. Muy recomendado. In English, it's one of the best books that I have read about with financial advice. It motivates a lot in taking control of your finances and clarifies a lot the how to manage money and why we do what we do. Very much recommended. So thank you, Gloria, for that review. I really, really appreciate you. Next week, you're going to meet Rachel Jimenez and hear her inspirational story. Here's a hint. She is a six-figure business owner. However, she hasn't always been in this position. Tune into the next episode to learn the full story. Bueno, pues, that is everything. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Make sure to check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 340 to refer back to everything you need from the show. Remember that being the reina of your money starts now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. Nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao. 